Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Our scripture reading this evening will come from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. In your pew Bible, that can be found on page 1014. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Amen and amen. It is wonderful to be in the presence of such fine Christians as I am tonight, and as I am every time I come into this building, what a very great blessing it is to be a part of this congregation, and I love you for helping make it, make it that way, and I'm just thankful to God for bringing us all here together and binding us together uh, as family in Jesus Christ, and honestly, there's just not too much that we could say about how awesome and wonderful it is to be a part of the family of God. It's literally the best, and I am so very grateful to be able to enjoy this blessing alongside of you. We pick back up in our text with 1 Corinthians this evening, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, as the scripture reading read. But first of all, just some preliminary thoughts that are going to relate to our text tonight. Uh, each one of us probably at some point in our lives has said some version of what you see on the screen. Well, after all, I'm only human, or you might say it in different versions, nobody's perfect in that sort of thing. And, well, I mean, isn't that true? We are, after all, only human. And uh, make mistakes. Uh, Romans 3.23 says even that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. I don't know everything. Is this a statement of your reality that you are working to improve, or is it merely an excuse that's the question for tonight and it is the question that I think strikes at the heart of the the best message from the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 3 that will bless us Laverne Church of Christ living in our world today where each one of us is so let's dive into the text first of all Paul says but I brothers and I just want to pause there and make sure that we all understand who it is that the Apostle Paul is talking to in writing this letter or this epistle, 
uh, to the church at Corinth. He is writing to his Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. We need, it, we need to make sure that we understand, especially when we think about the Corinthian exchange, the two letters that we have between the Apostle Paul and the church at Corinth, that in all of the things that he is saying, he is talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. These are Christians. These are saved people. Now, I've underlined that second thing there, infants in Christ. So to whom was Paul talking? He was talking to infants in Christ that happened to be the majority of the body of the church in Corinth. Did that mean they were not Christians because they were weak? No, it didn't mean that at all. He calls them brothers, even though they were not what they ought to have been in their spiritual maturity. Paul wrote this letter. And I want you to see that second phrase there, could not. Paul doesn't say would not. He doesn't say I won't. He doesn't say I will not. You so help me God. He says I could not. Uh, Paul wanted to address these Christians, these brothers in, in Christ, as spiritual people. In other words, we want to talk about the deep things of the faith. This is one of the things that blows my mind. When you read Peter talking about Paul's writings, when he says, in them are some things that are hard to be understood, uh, that the uh, ignorant and unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures for their own destruction. Peter's talking about the letters that we've got. And we get to a context like this, in which Paul says, I I'm, I'm giving you milk here. And that just really, I think, uh, opens our eyes to the depths and the riches that are available to us in considering to ponder the deep things of God. And, and so what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians, he does not intend to be difficult things. And the concepts themselves are really not that difficult if you are proficient in the biblical worldview. If you kind of have some grasp of the big picture of Scripture and understand how the whole story is unfolding as Paul's writing these words, none of these things are intended to be particularly difficult. To the degree that we find Scripture difficult, it is because maybe there is a key or a tool or a comparison that we're not aware of, and so ignorance, you know, could be a part of why we might have trouble with a particular passage, or as is the case in the context we're talking about tonight, it might simply identify that we may not be as grown up in Christ as we previously thought we were. Now, if we take everything that we have considered in this series so far, we go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and see that the Apostle Paul has already complimented the brethren there by saying that they had every gift from God and they were fully equipped, to, they were perfectly capable of edifying one another. And so the knowledge of God's Word was not something that they were chiefly lacking in the church in Corinth. Knowledge was not the problem. Spirit was the problem. Heart was the problem. Maturity was the problem. Understanding the Word that they had was their problem. And that was chiefly a problem of spiritual maturity. And so Paul gives them here a hard truth that I don't think they wanted to hear. If someone comes to you and you've been a Christian for any number of years and, and uh, you think of yourself as a, as a good example of a Christian and mature in the faith and someone who is a respected teacher, you have a conversation with you or maybe write you a letter. And in this letter, they just come out and say, hey, brother, I really wanted to talk about some deep stuff, but I couldn't because you're not ready for it because you're still a baby in Jesus. That's something, isn't it? That's bold, isn't it? It's, sometimes the truth is hard. But brothers and sisters, we need to be people of the truth, holy people of the truth, so that even if we find that the Word of God rebukes us 
or chastens us or disciplines us or calls us to account for something. We don't need to get mad at the Word of God. Don't need to get mad about it at all, but humble ourselves and receive the message in a faithful way. And I'm confident the ancient church of Corinth did exactly that. And so Paul says they weren't ready. Uh, and he says even to tell you. And I, I'm underlining the word for here. And I want you to see the word for there. Because Paul is now going to explain how he knows that the folks there in Corinth are not spiritually mature. And the way that he knows is, is not a test of their knowledge. You know, listen, there, are, there have been many Christians in history that have had vast sections of the Bible memorized and could just recite it just right off of their head, just word for word for word but who have scarcely understood a word of what they were reciting. Now, when I say that, do not hear from me that I am somehow against memorizing Scripture. That would be ridiculous. Memorizing Scripture is a great discipline. And you should at least have some verses memorized, at least. And if you want to discipline yourself to memorize more, that's great. But if time and ability force you to choose between memorizing and understanding, choose understanding over memorization because the understanding is what enables you to live out what Scripture is actually teaching you. And if you can recite the whole of the New Testament but don't really understand the heart of Christ, that knowledge is, is not going to be of any great use to you. And so it's not because of the knowledge problem. They had knowledge. That wasn't their problem. Their problem was the way that they thought of themselves, the way that they thought, period, their worldview was the problem. And Paul says it here, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And that's a powerful question. I've been in five different church environments as, as a full-time minister over a quarter of a century of full-time ministry and I have been in church environments where there if we didn't have uh, strife and jealousy among us we wouldn't have had anything among us <laughs> I wish that weren't true but it has been true in certain chapters of my life in the context that I've been working with and it's interesting that when I have found myself in those environments in which there was jealousy and strife and competition and all those things that flow from that I was in the presence of people that if you ask them where they were in their relationship with Christ yeah they thought of themselves as way up here on top shelf Christians top shelf Christians in their self judgment but Paul is talking to a bunch of folks that are just like that in the ancient city of Corinth and, and that's already been made clear in our context so far and it will be made even more clear as we continue Lord willing in future weeks and future chapters and sections of this book Paul is talking to exactly that kind of folks a church full of Christians that want to be the best that want to be the top dog that want to be looked up to by the rest of the church that want to be respected as wise and knowledgeable and powerful and gifted by God and that's the environment that they're in a bunch of super Christians walking around who could not even chew the meat of the Word of God that's humbling and so I say to you tonight just as this text says to me the words of Paul later in, in, in his writings, let him who thinks he stands take heed 
lest he fall. No one of us is as great as we think we are. And I say that to those in this auditorium that think the humblest about ourselves. The real picture, if you were able to see yourself with the eyes of, of the perfect God, our creator, you would realize that you're actually not even as good as you think. And I think, based upon what Paul is teaching in this context, that coming to that kind of realization is such a very, very important step in actually maturing in Christ. Uh, because God exalts the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. So as long as you think that you've got it all going on in your work, you know, your role for Christ and your service to him and your work in the kingdom, i got it going on, man. You know, I'm just beating temptations left and right, and I'm baptizing so many people into Christ, and I'm, I'm sharing the gospel in an effective way, and I'm doing all these good works, and I really am probably the best Christian I know. You're a baby. You're a baby in the eyes of Jesus. And this is the point that Paul is making in this context. Now, he has say, he said all of these things that have led up to this point. Come back around. The original problem, which was the reason, the primary reason, the immaturity of these people in the faith had led them into idolatry. Mean that they'd gone out onto the streets of the city of Corinth and, and worshiped in the temple of Aphrodite that was there. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I, I'm not talking about folks outside the church. I'm saying these folks in the church at Corinth had made idols out of the Apostle Paul and out of Cephas and out of Apollos. And, and as strange it is, is to say this, they had even made an idol out of Jesus. Because they had made claiming that I'm a disciple of Jesus into this sectarian thing that was pitted over against being a disciple of Paul or of Apollos or of Cephas. And, and so what Paul is trying to get them to understand is that they were behaving in a merely fleshly way, which ultimately James will tell us is the demonic way. They were not actually being spiritual people. They'd been saved, and they, they lived in the Spirit of God, and together they made up the temple of God with all the rest of the believers in the world. They, they had been declared to be spiritually right with God because of His grace, but the reality of their experience was that they were fleshly through and through in their way of thinking. Again, saved people, brothers, infants in Christ, not outside of Christ. Let's humble ourselves. Let's check our judgment at the door. Let's recognize that what is actually required of a believer in Jesus in order for them to be received by God in grace is very, very little. Very little. A fleshly minded spiritual baby can be saved by the grace of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if that isn't good news, brothers and sisters, I don't know what is. But God does not want us to remain being babies. And so Paul is trying to get the church there to wake up and in a sense to grow up. Listen, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, uh, or another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And this goes back to the question that I asked. We're, we're only human, right? 
But yeah, I guess we are only human. None of us is perfect, right? Well, Jesus is, but none of us on the earth right now are. Yeah, that's true. Everybody makes mistakes. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. You have just diagnosed the disease of humanity, the problem that we all are plagued with. But the question is, are you content with that? That's the question of this context. Are you being merely human in your way of thinking? Because, man, if your religion is merely human, it did not come from God. It did not come from God. He says, what then is Apollos? This is such an important section of this text. This goes back to chapter 1, remember? So he's built the case now so that he can really bring this home now in chapter 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. You're worshiping a servant. You great, wise, super Christians in the church of Christ in the city of Corinth are in your hearts bowing down and making gods out of slaves. You see the power of that argument? And we could say the same thing in our world today. Who is Josh Pappas? Who is Rooster Pitts? Who is Raul? Who is any, any of the folks in the congregation? Getting the brotherhood wide, you know? Any of the big preachers today, any of the big you know, leaders in the church today, who is this person? We could, write, we could write this letter today and give the same message to the church today and just fill in modern names through it. And no matter what name you fill in, you know, great uh, Gus Nichols. What is Gus Nichols? A slave. That's what Gus Nichols is, a slave. Are you hearing me? What am I? A slave of Jesus. That's what I am. I'm a slave. I'm a servant. What are you? A slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. So why would we ever bow down and worship a slave? Does that make sense? Now, this slavery that Apollos occupied was a chosen thing. To be a slave of Jesus is a glorious thing. Jesus turns an upside-down world right side up. Jesus didn't come and preach a slave revolt in ancient Rome, which was, had a majority population that was slaves. He didn't come to do that. What did Jesus do? He didn't come to bring about war. He, did, he didn't come to establish social justice in this life. Not that social justice is a bad thing. It's something Christians ought to be concerned with. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Instead of creating social justice warriors out of his followers... He said, well, if the world thinks that a slave is such a low thing, I'll send my son in the form of a slave. The son of God will come be a slave. That's what he'll come be. And Jesus said, in following that, that teaching there, in applying that teaching, he said, if anyone wants to be great in the kingdom of God, then he needs to become the least. Whoever would be the greatest must become the slave of all. And, and so this is the Christian truth that flows from the service of Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul is trying to get a bunch of big-headed bigwigs in this ancient church to realize they ain't who they think they are. And these people that they're bowing down to worship are not who they have built them up to be. They are sinful human beings who have been saved by grace and only by grace, just like those poor babies in Christ who were, in a sense, bowing down and worshiping them. And Paul says that's got to stop. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul's servants through whom you believe? As the Lord assigned to each. Who's the king? Who's the master? Who is God? The one who gave the assignments is the one that we worship. 
And so, so Paul continues to talk about, well, what is, what is it that Apollos has to glory you know, over? What is it that Paul uh, might have to, to brag about if he were to brag about? He says, I planted. Paul was the one who came to the city of Corinth with the gospel. He was the first preacher of the gospel in that ancient city, wicked and, and perverse city that it was, just like a Las Vegas of our times today. That, that was the ancient city of Corinth. He came there and he preached the gospel and he established the church. So Paul said, I planted. I planted the gospel there. I planted the church here. And then uh, I asked Apollos to come and help you all. Apollos came and he watered the garden. I tilled it. I planted the seed. Apollos came, he watered it and weeded it. That's in essence what he's saying here. So, who are you worshiping? You're worshiping a couple of farmers. <laughs> Don't you see the humor in this? I think Paul's being a little humorous here. I, I get that from the text anyway, even if you don't. He, he's painting a caricature of their behavior so that they can see themselves for what they're really being. You get that? They're worshiping a couple of farmers. That's, that's, the, that's what they're worshiping and bowing down before and, and clamoring after. And so the Apostle Paul says this, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Let's word that in a different way. Paul is nothing. Apollos is nothing. Only God is something. Only God is worthy of your worship and of your loyalty. You call yourself by the name of your king, the name of God, the name of Jesus, his son. You don't call yourself after the name of Luther. You don't call yourself after the name of Paul. You don't call yourself after anybody's name. And if you have learned this lesson, which is fundamental to spiritual maturity, that there is only one who is worthy of our loyalty and only one who is worthy of worship, and we bow down and worship him only, and we follow him only, and no others, and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want to encourage each other and build each other up, but we do not make each other out to be more than what we are. Fallen, sinful, weak men and women who have been saved by the grace of God and by no merit whatsoever on our part. And when you learn this vital truth, it really does something to you. I tell you that it actually protects you from idolatry. Protects you from idolatry. Because you realize that there is absolutely no logical basis for clamoring after men or women whatsoever. And you absolutely will not do it anymore. And listen to this. When you stop putting an inappropriate amount of faith in mere mortal human beings, you stop being jealous. What do I have to envy about a sharecropping farmer? Slave, farmer. You see my connection there? What is there to bow down and, and worship? What is there to clamor after and say, well, I'm in this guy's cult. I'm in this guy's church. What is he? Well, he's a sharecropper. You see, the, what the, when you realize the truth about who we are and whose we are and why we are, where we are and what we are, you cease, you cease to be a person that causes strife. And thus you cease to be a divider of the church of our Lord. The church of our Lord has been divided so many times over the 2,000 years of its history. 
And even in our world today, the church is so divided that the thought of it coming together and being one whole unified church again, it just seems unthinkable. It seems impossible. And really, the solution to it is so very easy. And this context teaches us what that solution is. The solution is simply this. Quit thinking that you're somebody when you're nobody. And quit thinking that other nobodies are somebodies when they're nobodies. When you do that, what are you going to divide the church over? You see the power in that? I hope it makes sense. He who plants and he who waters are one. You see that? That's important too. They're one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. And I'll tell you what, there's not many statements in Scripture that honor a bunch of sharecropping slaves more than that. Amen. We're God's fellow workers out in his field, planting his seed in his ground, watering with his water, pulling the weeds up at his command. That's all we're doing. That's all we are. You are God's field, God's building. So yeah, I'm only human. That's all I'll ever be. Now, God is going to exalt me on resurrection day and make me, make me like Jesus for real, perfectly. He's going to give me a body that is going to be superior to injury and to disease and to death. And, and, and better than all of that, it's going to be immune to the temptation to sin. It is no longer going to be empowered by my own soul, by my own will, by the drives of the needs of my flesh. But my body will be made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I will be given exactly what I long for in this life more than anything else. And that is the actual ability to obey God perfectly. Praise the Lord. That is where Christianity leads. But as long as we're here this side of eternity... I'm going to continue to be only human. But I cannot, brothers and sisters, I cannot, I cannot allow myself to behave in a merely human way. Brothers and sisters, there is no call in the world that is higher than that of Christ. There is no calling in the world that even touches the holiness and the glory and the perfection that is required by the call of Jesus our Lord. And as the followers of the greatest one who has given us the greatest way, we cannot allow ourselves to live merely by a human standard. Are you going to be able to live up to the perfect standard of Jesus? Well, no, of course not. So do you just give up and say it's okay since I'm human, I'm just going to be sinful? God forbid. God forbid, Romans 6 verse 1. God forbid. Brothers and sisters, if we are faithful Christians, we are holding ourselves to a standard that we can never hope to fulfill in this life. But if we hold ourselves to any standard less, we will be nothing but babies thinking with fleshly minds, jealous, envious of each other, competing with each other for glory, divisive, hateful, eventually uncivilized, and violent. And that's where it goes. 
I put here on the screen a contrast between mere humanity and what Paul is talking about in this context, new humanity. The motive for the thought process of merely humans is flesh. What do I want? What do I need? How am I going to get it? That's the fleshly mind. What will make me feel good? What will build me up? What will make people like me, respect me, love me, worship me? That's the mind of the flesh. The Spirit of God is what motivates the mind of new humanity. What does the Lord say? What pleases the Lord? How can I grow in Christ? How can I submit to Him, come underneath the mission of Christ and be a part of what He's doing? The merely human can only handle milk when it comes to spiritual or moral teaching. If you try to get deep, if you try to get uh, some, some meat of the Word, if you try to get into the complex stuff, they're done. But those who follow the Spirit of God, well, they will eventually be able to chew on what, so far as teaching is concerned, is like steak, the deep things of the Word of God. Those who are merely human, they live by jealousy and strife because they fear, because they lack, because they want. Those who follow the Spirit of God and are part of new humanity, instead of clamoring for attention and, and trying to gain glory and trying to elevate themselves above their fellow man, instead they stoop down and they wash feet. They become servants. And the end result of this is what the Apostle Paul said about he and his friend and co-worker Apollos. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one, one, one in Christ, one in purpose, one in mission, no division. Those who are of mere humanity are nothing. They amount to nothing. Those who are of new humanity are living examples of the work of God. It is true that none of us is perfect. It's absolutely true. But we can do better. We can do better. Will you achieve perfection in this life? No. But if you can do better, if you can do better, it's not okay to let yourself off the hook. That is what people who are not merely human, that's the rule they follow. And you'll do that by replacing your worldly standards with God's. Where does my self-esteem come from? From him. Or I don't have any. Does that make sense? From him. If he approves of me, I'm right. I'm worthy good and valuable if he disapproves of me what can I possibly have what can I possibly be if I don't have the approval of Almighty God it's the only thing that matters it really is the only thing that matters and brothers and sisters that's the lesson for tonight this evening if you need to respond to the invitation of the gospel understand Jesus loves you. He died for you. He died for you knowing that you are, as far as your efforts are concerned, hopelessly sinful. That's why I died for you, to rescue you from yourself, 
from Satan, from the world, from powers that are too great for you to handle on your own. And he will not leave you as a baby in Christ. If you will pursue him with your whole heart, study his word prayerfully, continue to engage with the community of the church and, and, and make the church your family and worship God and work for God and, and live out the church life. If you'll do that, he will make, he will make you into something great. Something better than we've ever witnessed in our lifetimes in the human family. That can all be yours by the grace of God. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he died for your sins? Are you willing to confess that, make the decision to turn from them, obey the command to be baptized? The water is ready. And this evening, if you are a baptized believer that needs our prayers, come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.